Yo. All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. As always, I am your host, Bailey. Like, uh, I, I said my last name wrong. That's embarrassing. How <laughs> <laughs> you jack that up, dude? Come on yeah, now. Get it, together. Get, the, get it together. Okay, I mean, pause. it's new, though, Restart right? You know, it. Yeah. <laughs> I got to back out. We're going to start a whole new stream, and we'll, we'll see you guys in it. Uh, as always, joined with me, Mr. Adam Deacon, and uh, two familiar faces down here with a big old beard, and uh, Mr. Bass Quest. What's not going as on, big fellas? Of a beard. <laughs> yeah, not as big of a beard. Nothing much, man. Just chilling here with you to talk about fishing. Like I like oh, yeah. talking about fishing, so I think we're gonna. I'm gonna enjoy this. We're gonna enjoy this. You know, it's gonna be good. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? We'll have to see. Caleb, what are you yeah, up to? Things are always good because we end up opening our big mouths and like saying things we shouldn't say. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> right you get all the secrets given away if you're not careful. Uh oh. <laughs> we just need to swap that Dr. Pepper with some like Bud Light so we can really get some juice. Yeah, out you, know, you gotta go full Tennessee and like have a natty light. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't have the, uh, I don't quite have the mullet going though. So, oh no. Are, are they, do they, uh, are you guys drinking Milwaukee Best down there at all? Or is that just a New York thing? I've never even heard of Milwaukee. Oh, yeah, I've never heard that. that but it must be a New York thing. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Deacon, what are you up to, dude? How's good old Colorado? It's good, man. It's uh, It's been hot for the fall. It doesn't quite feel like fall. Uh, sold the boat, so that's good. On to looking for another boat. So if anyone's got a uh, a lead on a boat, let me know. I guess I'm, uh, I should probably have some more parameters than that. But anyways, looking for, <laughs> <laughs> looking for something that floats. Boat outside. <laughs> Anyone who's got 10-foot John boats, I mean, really, no. Um, no, man, life's good. Got a lot of uh, kind of some championship-style events this fall that I'm excited for. And uh, from there, man, just just living life. Yeah, dude. Can you slap a 250 on a Hobie? don't know how that would work. That would be good content for sure. It's viral content there. Yeah. To see, just start at one horsepower and just start leveling up and just see exactly how far you can take it. I'm Ladies and gentlemen, welcome thinking. back. It's yeah. like 75 horsepower on the Hobie. Here we go. I feel like a kayak would sink so fast with the 250. How much do those things weigh? Like a thousand pounds? Oh, yeah, it's like the four strokes. Yeah, like 800 yeah. pounds. Yeah. yeah, it'd be like. <laughs> Line <laughs> <laughs> and then drop shot your Hobie. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, boys, if you guys did not know, uh, Adam here qualified for the national team championship down in Alabama. It's at uh, Ufala, right, Deacon? Yeah, yeah, on Ufala. Man, uh, hopefully, uh, what's that? I've heard that's an awesome lake. Me too. I've never been. I'm really excited, but uh, no, I've never been. Just seen a lot of a lot of footage on that thing. But December, I'm I'm curious to see what it'll fish like in December. So I'm glad to get you guys on to talk about a little bit of fall fishing because I could see it. Yeah, still yeah. Still late fall, you know. Yeah. What's funny? I we were on the way to the beach one time, and it was me, Bethany, Bethany's friend, and we were going with her family to the beach, and we passed by mm-hmm. Eufaula Lake on the way there, and uh, Bethany's friend cracks off and goes. What's Eufaula? <laughs> I said, what? She goes, what's Eufaula? I said, Eufaula. And I was like, she said on the side, it says Eufaula Lake. I said, that's Eufaula. She goes, oh, 
okay. And I was like, and ever since then, every time somebody says Eufala, I'm like, ah, Eufala. You don't want to go down there and get the Eufala. <laughs> Sounds like a disease of some sort. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to get yeah, the Eufala, son. That's that ain't some good. bad stuff right there. <laughs> Dude, my, uh, my grandfather was joking one time because they live in Florida now. He couldn't really pronounce Okeechobee a while ago, so he called it Lake Chewbacca. So he, t- he jokes about it all the time now. <laughs> You going to fish Lake Chewbacca? <laughs> oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. But so, so as Adam mentioned, we are here to talk some fall fishing. Uh, personally, it's becoming one of my favorite times of year, uh, mm-hmm. almost surpassing that uh, that fun spring bite, especially if you can dial it in. Because I do think, to an extent, fall fishing can be a little bit more confusing mm-hmm. than fishing in the springtime. But once you do figure it out in the fall, I think – and correct me if I'm wrong, you guys, but, I mean – you almost have a better chance of catching a true giant in the fall than you do in that springtime. But yeah, uh, yeah, sort of. I think that uh, I think you get a lot more chances to catch big ones in the spring. But I think when you swing on one in the fall, like when you do swing, it's usually that better than average fish. That's what I love about it so much. Is it seems like I don't catch as many, but when I catch one, it's that four to five pound plus class fish. That's what I love about the fall so much. What I get when the fall is like tons and tons of numbers. Like I can go out and, and catch these schooling fish. A lot of these fish like pot up together and it's all different sizes of fish. You know, down here in the south, like in the fall time, these fish are not like, it's not like the spring where you pull up to a point and you start firing out there with a trap and you pull up to one point, it's like all three and four pounders. And you pull up to the next point, it's all four to six pounders. Like it's everything together. Like you'll catch a 14 incher and have a nine pounder eat it off the end of a jerk bait at the boat. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like everything's together. It can be difficult to like find the right size fish, but you can go out and catch insane numbers down here. I'd always feel like the spring, like the winter time and spring for us is probably the best time to catch a true giant. And I'm thinking like winter to early pre-spawn. But the fall is awesome because of that urgency. Like those fish, like they start to see those, you know, the, the days are getting low uh, a lot faster. You know, it's like the, the window of time that they can feed is shorter. It's getting colder outside. It's like just they put the feed bag on so it can be super fun. Yeah, and that's what's cool kind of like about Caleb. It, it, like it's strange because I say this even though we're so close together. I mean, Caleb's only an hour and a half away. <laughs> But yeah. like Chickamauga and Nickajack set up completely different than Watts Bar and Loud. Oh, yeah. And then those two set up completely different than all the Highland reservoirs around. Yeah, yeah. And so like what's crazy is like Caleb will be catching school and bass, you know, on flats with a spook on Chickamauga. You yeah. can't do that on Watts Bar in the same day with practically the same water conditions and you're literally just one lake up. Wow. Like, yeah. That's how diverse – the state of Tennessee is and really the South is because then you go down to Pickwick and Wheeler and all those places and it's a completely different bot. And you would think it, really is. it all being the same river system, it all being essentially the same lake and the same water, but it's completely different worlds depending on what side of the, what side of the big concrete wall you're on when it comes to those dams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like the bite up North is so much better in the fall time because you guys have that urgency a lot quicker. It's like a really mm-hmm. narrow window. So when those fish decide to, to munch like Ben catching that freaking monster the other day, mm-hmm. did you see pictures of that? Yeah. Oh, six pound. Uh, yeah. That, that little lake that I caught my big bag when I was down there in the spring, but 
just again, it's that urgency thing. But still, you don't have quite the the thickness on the fish down here that you do up there. It's right. like it's like y'all's fall fish are as fat as your spring fish. We don't really get that as much over here. Yeah, and that that may be my bias in in my re- my regard to you know catching a a, a true giant like I wouldn't say yeah. easier, but having a better chance in the fall than the spring. Mm-hmm. And this is actually an interesting conversation. We'll get into fall fishing here in a second, but this is a fun yeah. conversation to have. Uh, and this is something that Andrew and I have discussed. And he talks about how, like, over the summer, especially in regards to northern smallmouth, that these fish are putting mm-hmm. on eggs starting in that summer. And trans- yeah. like as they get in the fall, now you have all that egg weight. But then, you know, that first couple of really cold, like, uh, pressure systems that move through that really start changing the water temperatures – that's when those fish kind of realize we're going to talk about this as we go through and fall fishing. Like you said, that urgency, right, Caleb, of them to start feeding yeah. with that massive, you know, mode of I need to eat, 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 eat. And then having all that weight build up in such a short period of time. That's why I think they weigh more, at least in my mind, for northern fish in the fall than they would in the spring because they have that egg build yeah. up and they have a crazy feed bag on. Yeah, they're not coming out of like that super harsh winter sitting there under the ice in the dark. You know what I mean? Like our fish, they don't have as much urgency. It seems like our my best fall bite is like November, you know, middle to end of November. Mm-hmm. It's like the best. And then it transitions. The winter time to me is like prime time. If you're going out there to catch a monster monster, mm-hmm. you know, we don't get winters like you do over here. So, you know, water temps are going to get down to what? What do you say, Alex? Like 40, 42? Yeah, I mean, 43. like we'll, we'll we have had like good. a – yeah, we'll have a strange year where it'll drop down below freezing and just the backs of the yeah. pockets will freeze. But, I mean, on average, you're talking lowest you're going to find is going to be like Highland Reservoir, like Norris or Cherokee, and it might get into the high 30s. Yeah. And that's it. You know, the yeah. rest of it's going to be see, mid 40s. I'll see uh, high 30s in a creek. But the thing mm-hmm. is, these fish, they move out main lake. And so they're sitting in that stable water. So a lot of these fish – they never see temperatures below 43. Mm-hmm. You know, they get out there on the main river channel as soon as it starts getting cold, cold, and they just got those stable temperatures. You know, they're pumping water out of the bottom of the dam up there. You usually get a lot of rain in the wintertime. So you think about that water down there in 70, 80. I mean, how deep do you think the water comes in out of Watts Bar? 100 foot? Oh, yeah, 100, 150, 200 feet at some point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just that depends. temperature, geothermal, probably, what, 60 degrees almost pumping through mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, what he calls nuclear power plants and stuff. It's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we haven't had a real good winter in five years, which is one reason why Chickamauga is like everyone thinks it's declining. It, it's really, you know, it, half of it's fishing pressure, but the other half is you, you have to have a shad kit. You have to have extreme cold conditions in order to get the right bite. It's just like what Milliken caught down there in Texas, what Mikey Ball has caught down there in Florida a couple of years back. When you get true cold fronts, that's when the freaks come out. You think it would be the same thing on Chick, like as old Ivy, if you guys had a, a winner? Yeah, it was. Like that. 2014 through about mm-hmm. 2017, we had really cold winters. A couple times the lake actually froze over where you could only get in a couple ramps. Um, it's like the main river channel itself was the only place that wasn't frozen. And that, it was insane. Like that's it, when the state record was called is if you're throwing your bait onto ice and bringing it off. Oh. And yeah. It's ungodly. And I mean, those years, that set of years right there where it got that cold, the coldest year is when yeah. we had the state record was caught. 
Yep. And it was, it's like it's that colder weather does something to those fish, especially the big ones. Yeah. And I think, I think it's just like any other animal in the environment, whether it's a giant deer or a mm-hmm. predator or whatever it is, you know, like a mountain lion isn't going to lay and freeze to death. They're going to get up and go try to kill something. And so that mountain lion or whatever the predator in the environment that it may be that, you know, would normally just, kind of stay idle and not move around as much It's forced to go and move and it's forced to hunt and it's forced to kill. And so I think when you mix that type of fish with people fishing and, you know, the amount of fishing pressure that Chickamauga gets at some point or another, people are going to start running into 12 and 13 and 14 pound fish. And, you know, yeah, that's when you're still there. Containers. No, yeah, they're they're there. Right. I mean, exactly. It's, it's like, it's like any big deer or any, mm-hmm. any, alpha top level predator in the world i mean basically that that fish when it's forced to eat when it's forced Mm -hmm. to do something it's going to make some rational decisions that it's like ah i should swiped at that oh wait no you you know that that goes back to basic biology with bass too you know what they think Mm -hmm. is like when a bass is extremely cold they can't see as well for one um so you know their senses are dulled um, a lot of times they're displaced. You know, a lot of these fish like to, or resident fish, like to live in creeks, major creeks over here. They like to live in that 12 foot, you know, nine to 12 foot range. All these fish get displaced to the main part of the river, the only place that's not asked over. And it is amazing how ferocious they are when they bite. Like it, it, it's like some of the most crazy, like summertime, nighttime spinnerbait bites. Wow. Mm-hmm. It is ungodly. It feels like they've got a ball bat down there. And they just crush it. Mm-hmm. and they chase my gosh dude i've i've been reeling stuff in fast to make another cast like burning it as fast as possible and you know the water's 37 and i'm casting into ice i've got every layer of clothes on and they'll like run down you know something i'm burning with a seven gear ratio reel and just crush it at my feet mm-hmm. you know it's fascinating i talked to a biologist on my live stream uh it's been a couple weeks ago now and i asked him just out of curiosity, because, you know, bass fishermen, and this is kind of going off on another tangent, but we'll get back to the main topic eventually. <laughs> I, got a better rabbit. <laughs> I got a better rabbit hole to go down here now. But anyway, so I, so I asked him, I was like, you know, in your opinion, and this is a fish biologist and a fisheries biologist, in your opinion, I said, what's the single biggest driving factor of bass? I said, or of any predatory fish. And I said, but bass more specifically. He said, it's really, really simple. He said, it's the food. And... And that kind of goes back to what Adam was saying, like they're forced to eat. And like if a bass is forced to intake calories, then he's going to be put in vulnerable situations where it's going to screw up. And like, you know, like Caleb said, if they're put in a vulnerable situation where they're forced to eat and they can't really see what's going on super well. Yeah, that's when it's the recipe for disaster for the bass, you know, to put itself in a vulnerable situation where we can get it to screw up. I mean, yeah, like Bailey, you all saw, the same location too. Yes. You know, yeah, what I mean? and like you're on a, Bailey a saw lake, all down there at the deepest spot. If you're on the river, they're all at the channel yeah. at a current. Like, yeah. So it takes yeah. every fish that you want to catch, it puts it into a confined space, and then it yeah. dulls their senses. They're in a new area. They have to eat, and then you're bringing a bait by them. It's like it's the perfect storm for a bass fisherman, which is why you see record weights, you see lake records being broken. Yep. You see, I mean, it, it happens. And that's why, like, if I had all the money in the world, and I told Mikey this, I told Alex this, Ben this, if I had all the money in the world and I could just fish whenever I wanted to, I would literally follow 
the roughest cold weather. Mm-hmm. Yep. And y- yep. you would have the best chance to catch, you know, the biggest fish that lives in that body of water or in that region. Which, you know, and to, and to kind of like take us back to the fall fishing side of things, I think this plays right into fall fishing and why you do have a chance of catching big ones is because fall is a very turbulent time. Yeah, at least here, you know, I, I know for you guys up there, it's kind of like you got fall and then it just drops right off into winter. Well, down here in the south, it's like fall, winter, summer, summer, fall, winter, fall, summer, summer. Two weeks of hurricanes coming up from the coast, <laughs> muddy water, clear water, freezing cold, snow, high water, it's low water, high water, low water. And I think when you know you put like all that turbulent water, it can make it super tough, but it also again puts bias in vulnerable situations because they get that instinct, that instinctual drive to go eat and self-preservation and, you know, food and those kinds of things. And I think sometimes that's why the fall, you know, you have all this turbulence and then you hit one stable day in the fall. That one stable day is the day that you can just go wreck their face in, you know, (laughs) that or like, you know, it may be stable in the fact that it's cloudy all day or it's raining all day and it's not some, crazy turbulent up and down just anything stable in the fall it seems those are the days that you go catch the big ones and i I think Mm -hmm. it's just kind of what caleb's saying is that it's like opposite to the spring you know it's usually in the spring it's how crazy can it be or late you know late winter early spring but in the fall it's like all the craziness you want to find that one stable day you know that stable day is the day that the bigs come out and they want to come play you know what i mean for me it's like so like the, I got on a bite the other day down at the river where three days straight, I was going for like two hours in the afternoon and catching anywhere between 20 and 22 pounds of brownfish down there. And just like giants, you know, every one that I was catching was a big one, caught one almost six down there on a jerk bait. And the thing was, it was like super turbulent conditions, right? And we had a bunch of water that was running out of the dams. But the key there was that they ran the same current for about three days in a row. And so what it did is it allowed those fish to position in one little seam and I was able to capitalize on that, that area. And so for those three days after they had already gotten there, I smashed them. And I think that's one of the big things with spring or fall fishing, why it's so good and it's perceived to be so good is motion. Like these fish are in motion. They're migrating with bait, you know, in the springtime they're migrating up for spawning but when you put big fish especially on pressured bodies of water like we have here when you put big fish in motion they're vulnerable because they're not sitting at a spot like in the summertime they sit on those ledges what for two or three months right Mm -hmm. they're not moving they see a million baits go over their head it's really hard to fool a fish like that unless you've got something that's going to pull them off their game Whereas in the fall or in the spring, when those fish are in motion, you know, they're hitting stopping points. So that fish might not have been there for more than a few hours. It's in a new area. It finds a spot to hunker down for a second. And then all of a sudden you bring a presentation across that fish in a new area. And I think that's one of the major things that throws them off their game. So a combination of, you know, difference in weather. So you get cloudy days, sunny days, rainy days, blah, 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 right? And then you have different currents, different water levels, fish moving. Like to me, the more factors that you can throw towards that fish, the better chance that you have of catching one that's, you know, that nine, 10 pound class fish for largemouth and that six to seven pound class fish on smallmouth. Because mm-hmm. in reality, down here, these fish get beat up so much. 
I mean, you've seen Bailey the pressure that we get down here. It's like yeah. you, have to, you have to throw as many odds in your favor. It's like that day that you and Alex and I were out and catching those giant fish on live bait. Alex, Alex was because it was just <laughs> yeah, exactly. that was a one-sided wreck. <laughs> right I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> but it was nasty out there. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. like super nasty weather conditions. The current was ripping through there, and it just throws those fish off their game just a little bit more. It gives you those chances. Yep. Yeah, and so this is interesting. And Adam, I'm going to be really curious to see how it is out your way in Colorado. Mm-hmm. So, like Alex, you mentioned how. You know, you look for those stable days to really capitalize. Uh, for us in the north, and I can't really speak for everybody, because but uh, what I've found is you, you fish after that first big cold front that rolls through, you always, like, your better days uh, are, especially for smallmouth, are when there's falling temperatures. You know, when you have a 38, a 38, you know, a 32 or a 28 or something like that, that morning you are going to wreck their face in because mm-hmm. it's that instinct, right? I mean, Caleb, we talked about it. it gets things going in motion where those fish can feel that it's a pressure drop. And they're like, Hey, winter's coming. You got to start eating now because before we know it, it's going to be too cold and I'm going to have my butt planted on the bottom, not doing anything. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like, they kind of feel that it gets their, you know, their instincts in motion and you're literally just going to eat everything that's in front of their face. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where it's almost you fish the drops is kind of like one of the points I have here. It's like you'll catch fish all throughout the fall, but I think some of your best days where you're like, you know, you're going to double up a bunch on like an A-rig type of deal is on those days when it's it's the drops in temperature mm-hmm. and pressure. That, that's really funny because for us over here, we have such swings in weather that we get a lot of false falls. I know Alex knows what I'm talking about. We're like, we'll get a legit yeah. cold front that'll run through for three or four days. And then it's back like daggum summer again. Then it's cold yeah. again in the summer again. So our fish, they don't subscribe to that at all. Like when yeah. the first few cold fronts that run through, I mean, you can't, you can't tell a difference on our yeah. fish at all. It's when it becomes stable. Whenever we have a long cold, when you get it for two weeks or so and it's starting to drop and, those days are getting shorter. That's when we see it. Like yep. we see it, you know, our legit fall bite is weeks away. November. Yeah. Like end of November. You know, it, it's, yeah. Like right now for us, it's, you know, you go out there and you grind during the day in grass. You're going to throw a frog. You're going to punch. You're going to catch some big ones. You know, you're going to fish main lake isolated mats and stuff. And you're going to run to the back of the pocket right before dark look around for a little bit of activity and smash their face in for an hour. Cause it's an afternoon bite until mm-hmm. November. Then it turns into a morning bite. And that's when you get those prolonged feeds where it's like yep. from daylight until whenever, sometimes if it's like bluebird skies, it might tail off at 11, 12 o'clock. Mm-hmm. But if it's cloudy out there, it might be an all day, just feedback going on. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Cause we're just way behind. Yeah. We're yeah. Just- and it was funny. Like, This is one big tip I can give anybody fall fishing, and I'm sure it's similar up north and out west where you're at in Colorado. But, like, if you get a bite in an area, make several more casts into that Um, area. Like, so many people fall fishing are like, I know. I caught one, and then they Call keep motor going on the bank. Still going, take yeah, I'm like, whoa, motor. slow down there, Captain. Like, throw back into that area because that's one thing our fish definitely start doing is like, you know, a few weeks ago, I got on a bite when I was in the kayak, and like I found like eight in one area. It was eight bites in one isolated area. So I got the, caught those eight fish, sat there for probably, you know, an hour or more and didn't get another bite. I think I caught one more fish out of that area. So like nine total bites. Yeah. 
Well, two more weeks from now, that could be 15 total bites. And then two more weeks from there, it could be 30 total bites. And then, you know, when we get down in the end of the November, that's one of those areas where you go and sit like me and Caleb have before in yeah. one place for two hours as and never not get a bite. Yeah, I mean, as long as you want, because there's 150 fish sitting there. You know what I mean? And or <laughs> they were sitting there and it's just that that weather has made them start eating, you know, and like Caleb was saying, that false fall, it happens all the time here. You know, like the other day we had one, it was like, I woke up and it was like 38 degrees outside. And like the high that day was 52 is gorgeous outside. And like, you know, it kind of affected the fish. He had a few that wanted to eat, but like then the next day it was 95 again. And so that's like, that's an (laughs) anecdotal experience for us. Right. I mean, like that's something that I think the South, like southeastern United States, we experience a lot of that just because yeah. of the, the way it's set up here. Um, but like, what's Colorado like, man? Like, he, I heard yeah. you live in Colorado. It's so like, what is Colorado it's bass like, fishing? Oh. Like, what is that like, dude? Okay, so Colorado bass fishing specifically is like Ohio bass fishing. Like, it is like mm. small fish, right? But then we travel a lot and where I'm at, right? Like I either have to go East and get to fish. Like I fished the central Toyota series this year. So I fished grand and those kinds of places or I yeah, go yeah. West and I go to Havasu and have gone to clear Lake and those kind of Lake Mead, those kinds of situations. Mm-hmm. So I'm in the middle of nowhere. The trick is like, there is some really good fishing in our smaller lakes because we don't have very much water. Right. Mm-hmm. And also if you go into Nebraska, I'm in Northern Colorado. So if you just go a little bit East, I mean, dude, like there's, there's some fishing that I would argue like tournaments. We just fished one in, I mean, we're talking first, or I guess it was the second week of September, terrible time of year for most places mm-hmm. in the country. Right? <laughs> I mean, 16, 18 pound bags. I mean, yeah. wow. like, and, and in July, I've had a 20 pound bag there, like in July, yeah. which is not a good time. And, and they're all Northern strain, large mouth and they're small mouth in that place. But like, um, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing because it's similar to like the, the Ozark region of fishing. And then mm-hmm. you get kind of like a, our Pueblo Reservoir, which is a, one of our big tournament lakes. Like it's very similar to a Havasu, a Mead, Clearwater, Desert Lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Small fish in it. I mean, it's got like a, you're, if you catch in the spring, you catch a 13, 14 pound bag you're really catching them like i've seen one or two 15 pound bags there i mean in this mm-hmm. time of the year it's like gonna take 10 or nine yeah right yeah wow. but what's what's cool about that lake is there's small mouth spots and large mouth in it and so mm-hmm. um kind of going along with fall fishing like that's a place where i've done a lot of fall fishing it's where we have a lot of kind of tournaments uh as we get to this time of the year and going off of what you're saying rudd as far as like thrown back if one's there it's like to me fall fishing is very much right they're on the bait they're following the bait and there's a lot of dead water like there's mm-hmm. oh, like man why did i I've, i always catch one here and it's like well they're not yeah. there you go two coves over and you get bits like better mm-hmm. stick around and throw a couple more casts because they're all there like that's yep. they're, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. in those wads so yeah. to me it's really it's more about finding a few key areas from a tournament's perspective anyway of like all right, I need to find where these fish are specifically. And another mm-hmm. thing that I, I love about the fall is the randomness of a big bite on something. I mean, just paying attention to your surroundings, right? And yes. having those so fish big. 
mess up. But like, I mean, you've been going yeah. down the bank and doing something and you hear them go off and you look over and you're like, Oh no, those are good ones. And you, and you yeah. pop water over there and you can stick a giant, it could change your day. I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah. any second. It's that any second. Yeah. It's cool yeah. time of the year. But. Yeah, dude. And that's what kind of I was saying. It's like any swing, any swing's a big one. Yeah. And like, and like kind of going off what you say, like paying attention to what's going on around you. And that's huge. Not only for like yeah. those random top water bites, but for like, bank composition bottom composition things that they're on because i've noticed in the fall unlike every other time of year like they get really specific uh, as to what they want to be on and i don't know why that is i don't know what instinctual drive that's fulfilling for them to do that but like if you get a bite on wood you better start breaking down every piece of wood that you run into because there may be something to that or if you get a bite like the other day for you know me and my dad went out for a few hours it was man-made stuff like anything man-made like a wall like a seawall or a you know any kind of thing that stuck out in the water but it had to be man-made like if it was like a lay down they didn't give a crap about it yeah yeah if it was a lay down they didn't give a crap about it it had to be something man-made and it was just i think it was a lot of different factors but that was something like i said in the video that i made i was like pay attention to that bite like when you get it make several casts there and then also like take a note in your brain as to why that fish might have been sitting there and then go try to replicate that. Cause just like Adam said, like running a few key areas. I know there's one like near me, uh, it's called mountain Hill, little bitty, like in between, like it's in between two bigger lakes and it's just kind of a river system. And like this time of year, it is literally about going and running 25 different spots as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. And like when you get that bike, go, okay, we're coming back here in just a minute, but I got to go run these other 62 spots real quick. And like, <laughs> then you go back to those areas where you got bites because the out of the 25 spots you'll run, there'll be four that are the most productive. Mm-hmm. And out of those four, there's two where the big ones are at. Yeah. And then that's where you can go really cap in a tournament, you know, situation. That's where you can really capitalize on actually being able to do well in a tournament situation. And then if you're fun fishing, I mean, hell, you just go smack them in the face when you find them. So, you know. Yeah. 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 And so you mentioned the wood and that's a, that's a really good point is to, you know, and I think a lot, a lot of people have said that, you know, in, in the fall when things are starting to cool down as you find specific pieces of structure, I think, you know, you, you said man-made, it's almost like keying in on uh, objects that retain heat. So like in your guys' zone, you know, something Caleb taught me in the past was cheese mats, especially yes. when things are getting colder is you find the cheese. I mean, Lee Livesey, one Chickamauga doing the same thing, throwing a frog over cheese mats. And I can't remember, I think it was October when they had that tournament oh. there. <clears throat> it, yeah, it was the fall and it's because it retained heat. And that's basically the point. It's like you could punch through them, frog them, whatever. You just find whatever remaining heat sources. So like you, you mentioned to – Keep an eye out, like Adam mentioned, for just random fish going off right next to you. Yeah. You know, making, you know, noticing these little key subtleties, and that could be as simple as a half temperature change because, mm-hmm. you know, it might not seem like a big difference in number wise, but like you got to think about it. Like, even when you're swimming in a pool and there's a slight temperature change, you notice it. It's extremely noticeable. The fish probably feel the same thing, and that's probably mm-hmm. where they'll obviously relate to. Yeah. Uh, is there anything yeah. you guys have to add on that? No, I mean, I agree. Yeah, cheese mats. <laughs> cheese mats and a frog. I mean, if we can do that 365, can we just do that? Like, can we just, like, eliminate everything else? Can I tie on a square bill and a frog, and can we go do those two things and screw the rest of it? That's what I want. <laughs> I'll give you some, some really good tips here, especially if you're a tournament guy. One, in the fall, learn how to go into community hole areas 
learn how to find the largest population of fish. The largest population of fish in an area is a lot of times a community hole. So what you want to learn how to do is sit there, beat your head against the wall until you can catch those fish in that area. It's different every school, but learn how to catch those fish in that area better than 90% of everyone else who's fishing that spot. Because you can weed through all those numbers of fish and end up with a 20 pound bag on 90% of these big community holes on these, these right kind of lakes. Mm-hmm. Number two is don't get caught up on one type of bait because on, in the fall, the fish are after bait, but it could be crawfish. You know, we just had a full moon. There's a crawfish malt that went on. And a lot of times that bite will trail off for a while. So you're going to want to be over there checking stuff, you know, that flipping bite, that bite on little rock walls and stuff close to where those shad were because you know those fish were on the shad, right? They were on thread fin. So where are they going to go to get on that crawfish malt? The next closest area, you know, it's going to be isolated grass mats along with rock, or there's going to be isolated grass mats along with wood, hard bottom. That's where your crawfish are going to be. Those fish will slide right over there. You'll lose them for three or four or five days sometimes. And that's what they did. They went over there and ate crawfish for three or four or five days and you missed out on the best jig body of your life. So it's like, you got to keep them honest every time, you know, think about size of bait. So over here, you know, predominantly for our bait uh, fish, yeah, huge yeah. and gizzard shad. Those fish, a lot of times, you'll find the right fish are on gizzard shad, way on the backside of a flat, you know, on a secondary channel or a cut. You've been chasing all these fish that are hard to catch, that are eating thread fin, mixed in with a million one pounders and two pounders, when you could have just gone and fished for you know five to seven pounders that were eating these gizzard shad over here and capitalize on that bite. Um, bluegill is a huge thing. Adolescent bluegill get in these creeks where these fish are schooling on thread fin. You know what they do in the day? They go to wood again because of that radiant heat. Guess what's around every one of those stumps when you get close to clouds of bluegill there that long. Mm-hmm. They just sit there and slurp bluegill. You know, fun <laughs> fact, uh, talking about the biologists again, and we've gone off on like 52 rabbit holes here. I love it. Um, here's the problem. You get me and Caleb on here and we live literally in one of the toughest places in the world to go fishing. And so like we have, if we, if there is a thought to be had about it, we've probably thought about it and we probably tried it at some point or the other. I mean, dude, outside, outside of like balling up poop and putting it on hooks, I'm sure me and Caleb have done about everything to try to catch it. Yeah, I know. Right. You haven't tried that? Oh, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, so I talked to the biologist again on the podcast, and the last podcast I did with the biologist, probably one of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had with him. And I've had some pretty fascinating conversations with this guy. But one thing that he was talking about, and this is just something to keep in mind for everybody, it doesn't matter, I guess, anytime you're fishing, but fall specifically, he said that they have done studies that have shown that bass can differentiate the different type of bait that they want to eat based on its smell. And that a bass, based on... in instinct can smell baits that are of more caloric value to them than something else. And so like, if you're talking about a bass that's keying in on bluegill or like Caleb said, making a move from one food source to another, it may be doing that based on an instinctual drive, knowing that that food source is more available to them or easier to eat. Like a bass is going to choose to eat a crawfish you know, 10 times over a shad in some scenarios because they don't have to work as hard for them. Open water if there's a bunch of soft crawfish all around the Exactly. Exactly. And so, like, you know, Caleb's right in the fact that during fall fishing, be willing to mix it up a whole, whole lot. But just keep in mind, you know, 
you know, what is the most caloric, you know, valuable thing in my lake to a bass? You know, us down here in, in Tennessee, we've got crawdads and thread fins and alewives and bluegills and blah, blah, gizzard. I mean, do we got it? We got golden shiners. I mean, yeah. you know, we got baby birds, <laughs> frogs, I mean, there's everything down here. Whereas, like, when you start getting up north, you know, I, you know, my time that I've spent up north, you know, in Michigan specifically, I've noticed that there isn't that a, much of abundance of different food types but the food yeah, types that they the have there's not the variation but the food types that they have are extremely calorically dense like your gobies and your perch and so like if you find the gobies or you find the perch then you find that food then you found the fish and like adam i don't know what it's like over in colorado you know those lakes that you're fishing and stuff like that but i mean like it, it's that similar kind of thought process and i think Absolutely. a lot of people yeah go ahead adam no, you're good. No, it's it's the yeah. same, man. I mean, we've got yeah. very similar situation. Just the biggest thing is our bait fish are generally because we have that colder period, we don't yeah. get the big gizzards. We have smaller, small bait fish. Everything gets yeah. really, really small, obviously in the fall too. But yeah. Yeah. We're looking for the, the, the easiest meal that's got the most calories. Yeah, but exactly. And that, that makes sense to us because I mean, think about it. How many times have you been throwing a bait out and sight fishing one that comes up to come eat it? And as soon as it gets nose to plastic turns right mm-hmm. away yep i mean if it's if that scent not right for that, for that specific fish and how it's feeding i mean that makes perfect sense in my mind yeah right. and that was something that kind of blew my mind when he said that i was like yeah. well, I, I forgot what the context of the conversation was but i was like i think i phrased the question as you know outside of obviously just the food you know can bass identify what they're eating or is it yeah. just all opportunistic and he said no oh absolutely they can we've seen that they can smell the difference in between bait. And I was like, hold up, time out, what? <laughs> like, cause, because it was that, I mean, as soon as he said that, I thought like everything that I do then needs to have some kind of scent on it. it you know, even yeah. if it's a reaction style bait, like a crankbait, obviously not. I mean, they're just reacting to it, right? Yeah. But like anything that moves any slower than a crankbait, like you almost want to have that scent on there because if that is true, then they can track that scent down and they can react to it. You know what I mean? So dirds. Dirds. But, um, hey, cool dirds. story about dirds, like talking about the scent thing. He was telling me a story. This has been months ago, but like, you know, we, we debate all the time, like the max scent thing. I didn't think it made much of a difference, if any, before. But then dirds was telling me he was literally fishing a lake for, and he was like sight casting a drop shot to smallmouth that were ultra, ultra spooky. He like casts this drop shot over this smallmouth. It comes over, looks at the bait, no interest whatsoever, cruises on, but it gets down current of that max scent on the on the drop shot and literally turns, comes straight back over to it and eats it. Oh, he literally smelled that stupid uh max scent on there and came around and ate that thing. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder just you know, obviously we're on a rabbit hole again, but I wonder how much <laughs> Like for a long time, I thought scent was bull crap. And, I and, 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 and I think for me, it was because the way I like to fish. I mean, I'm a power fisherman. I like to flip. I like to frog. I like to throw a crankbait. I mean, that's the stuff I like to do. And in those situations, I mean, bass are reacting to things. Even yeah. a flipping bite. You know, you flip a jig in there. Before that thing hits the bottom, usually they've got a hold of it. It could be yeah. anything. Could be, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could, long, as long as it is in its vicinity and it flashes by its eye it's gonna to try to kill it yeah but then i started getting into more finesse fishing i actually bought more than one spinning rod um <laughs> but like i got more into finesse fishing 
And I started to notice like the more that I used scent, the more bots that I got and the more I would perform better on the water, you know, as far as getting bots around people and, you know, on pressured. And dude, I don't know, man, the scent thing for a long time for me, I thought this is total bullshit. It's not real. And then I started to change my mind. The more I fished with it, the more I talked to people a heck of a lot smarter than me about fishing and like the actual science behind fishing. And then I thought, you know what? You know, if, if a salmon can smell out the river that it came from and swim 1600 miles based on scent in the moon, then I bet a bass is advanced enough to probably smell the crawdad that it's eating. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. There's, there's been a few cases where I've seen the effectiveness of Maxent, and there's one that really stands out and it was my buddy and I fishing on Lake Ontario and he's got, he's got live scope and he's out, he's in the back of the boat fumbling, trying to get a new bait out. And I wasn't using Maxent at the time and I pan over and I see one on live scope. I pitch to it. It's coming towards it. And at this time he's coming back up and pitches out this bait. I watched this fish come to my bait. And as his comes down behind it, it turns around and goes and eats his. And it was a six-pounder. Oh, I was like, God. so literally you just stole that fish from me. But if that wasn't like a clear case of like, dude, you're just not using the right thing, yeah. then I was just like, okay, I'm going to put this down. I got to say, like, as much as I hate to do it, I'll have to eat crow and say that the max scent does make a difference. I mean, it makes a huge difference. I had no idea. Especially in brownfish, man. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah. The smallmouth and in any current situation, I completely agree. But mm-hmm. it, it's just the thing with fishing, right? And I'm still probably, I believe in scent, but I'm still probably more along the lines of how you guys used to be. And I'm just like, ah, come on, right? Like, especially mm-hmm. every reaction situation. But mm-hmm. like on the St. Lawrence this year, I went and fished that as a co with Bailey. And man, like some of the biggest fish I caught in practice didn't have scent right? Mm-hmm. It was like a, a Sanko, right? Like a wacker rig Sanko on a drop shot. So then it's frustrating because you think like that, but really I think all of, all of fishing comes down to putting the odds more in your favor. Exactly. Like give you one extra bite or every five fish or 20% more bites. That's the difference. And that's mm-hmm. what I think people get hung up with, including myself on scent is that it's just mm-hmm. that little extra additional couple bites. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah people and see I it think, portrayed is like this massive difference right like night and day yeah. when it's just a couple extra advantages in your arsenal yeah and i think that's what happens when you fish as long as i guess we all have right you know adam i don't know how long you've been fishing but i know me and caleb i mean like literally our entire lives it's all we've ever done Same. and it's like you get you get to the point where it's like you almost I don't know. It's spoiled is the word because like you, you know, you've caught so many fish and you've done so much that then you just start like really toying with those extra few little things. Like, yeah, I guess it's less like any athlete, you know, in, in their profession, you know, UFC fighter, you know, they want to learn that one extra, you know, chokehold or they want to learn that one extra arm bar, that one extra technique that in that, you know, championship level fight can make the difference. And for us, you know, for me, I know, for, you know, I'm not a huge tournament fisherman. I fish a tur- kayak tournament here or there and obviously got fish out of my boat and stuff like that. But like, for me, it's like a, it's like a hunting, you know, I've, I'm past the point in my fishing, you know, journey where I want to catch a lot of fish. Now I'm like, let's go try to catch fish in this specific situation and, or go try to figure out something no one else has figured out, or let's go try to catch yeah. 
the biggest, you know, just monstrosity in the lake that we can. <laughs> yeah. And and I think it's just it's wild though. I mean, that's what I love about fishing. It's very anecdotal. Everybody has a very different anecdotal experience within the fishing world. And I think that's what makes everybody's, you know, opinion so valuable is that like that old man with a cigarette, you know, almost burned down to the filter out there dragging a peanut jig on a spinner rod has just as much input and value as the dude who's got the $90,000 bass boat and who's fishing, you know, every conceivable tournament that he can fish. It's just very anecdotal, very different opinions, but both very valuable in what they can provide to you in your angling journey. You know, that's that's where I've kind of gone with my angling journey. It's just like, just as analytical as I can possibly be just to, you know, again, Alex mentioned it before, just the, the competition that we have down here. You know, and these fish, they, they evolve. That's how they learn is generation to generation. So when you're giving them that much info and you're pushing from generation to generation, there's things that worked five years ago that don't work anymore. I mean, they just don't. And so you have to constantly change with the time. So it's like it's like what happened in California, I feel like, is what happened is happening here now. Like the, all these guys in California, they, they pushed the envelope way faster than everyone else. And now – we've got so much pressure over here in the Southeast that it's the same thing. And in places like Texas and Florida, these anglers are becoming super innovative and, you know, thinking outside the box. And that's what you really have to do if you want to stay ahead of things and be super successful out there. Yep. I mean, heck, what were we talking about right before we went live? Buying JDM plated jigs. <laughs> we're getting <laughs> weird out here, boy. Else we're getting weird. Yeah. You know, and that's that's one thing in the fall time and, and all year yeah. round. It's like that that's caught on this year. And you notice the last couple of years in like the Bassmaster terms and stuff. I've been preaching throwing the jerk bait year round for years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now it's like everyone's caught on to this with like the live scope thing. It's like you can catch fish on a jerk bait. Like there's certain things there's when you're talking about like the power of certain fishing lures. Things that have hang time have extreme power. That's why glide baits are amazing big fish catchers. That's why jerk baits are amazing big fish catchers. And why drop shots are amazing big fish catchers. You got something that can hang in the strike zone and you can leave there and it can stay in that area for too long in that fish's zone. It's a good way to catch a big one. And you know what I do in the fall, that float and fly thing. I mean, it's, and, and that, that would work for you, Adam, too, like up there. Dude, like there's schooling back there. Throw a float and fly on. You'll catch. Really? You'll catch oh, yeah, fish out of there. Yeah. Yeah, I've like messed with that. I guess in the spring one time, in an early, early spring tournament, it was really cold, like kind of just after ice off. And I got like, <laughs> three bites doing it. One of them was a crappie, and uh, I did. I did catch. I did catch two small, small bass on it. But I, I was, uh, I was lost. It's, it was. It was very frustrating, but I'd like to. You need to message me and we'll talk about it because I throw it when it's like 90 degrees outside and I can Ooh. sit right around 100 boats and catch as many fish as I want. Wow. So give me a ring on that and you'll, you'll win some tournaments over there on those clear lakes like that because nobody does it. You yeah. can just do crappie fishing to win as many tournaments as you want. Yeah, Adam, like Caleb waxed me in the boat. I had a jerk bait and he had that float and fly on and he waxed me with that thing. And I was pretty sold on it then, but I wasn't completely sold on it yet until you went to St. Clair and caught giants during a tough time of year yeah. on that. And I was like, okay, I got to learn this freaking thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's legit. It's nasty. But, but I mean, you, so you bring up that live scope, and this actually is a, probably the answer to this question here, but I'm curious what your guys' thoughts might be from James Sumrell. Um, any tips on catching suspended fish? 
And he's complimenting your shirt, Caleb. Live scope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Live scope. This by live scope. No. That's a Chris son too, right there. Yeah. Just the bass attitude, like the shirts and stuff that I wear. Oh, yeah. He just got the, uh, the active target from Lawrence not too long ago and been playing with it. I mean, I think one of the biggest things, and I know uh, Alex, you and I have talked about this when we go with Ben, is moving and not getting locked onto certain fish. Like you'll see a million fish on a live scope, but you have to figure out like which ones are active. So you're constantly moving. You need to learn what that fish looks like on that graph when it's a catchable fish. Mm-hmm. You want to know how big that fish is also learn how to, to differentiate the size of the fish and learn how to read that fish's body language on that graph and know right then, is that a catchable fish or not a catchable fish? Mm-hmm. That's like, super. Yeah. and I'll say from somebody who is yet to invest in forward facing mm-hmm. sonar. And this is coming from like someone who's like old, like old at heart. Like I'm an old soul. And so like I do old school things, you know what I mean? Is like fall, fall fishing specifically and like suspended fish. One of my favorite things to do is find vertical cover and vertical structure. And what I mean by that is like more straight up and down cover and structure that those fish can suspend on. One of my favorite things being like a bluff wall and, you know, fishing a crankbait on that bluff wall and stuff like that. And or throwing a spinnerbait on that bluff wall and just kind of figuring out where depth range those fish are living at. And I mean, it sounds like it can take forever and sometimes it does, but that's like an old school method of catching them that I just don't see a lot of people doing. And I can capitalize on it every single fall and winter is to take something like a, you know, a three XD or a rock crawler or, you know, a seeker, the new monster bass bait or whatever your favorite medium diving crankbait is and go cranking those bluff walls and catch fish and big fish at that that are suspended and i think it's such a valuable piece of cover and structure and adam i don't know how your lakes are out there but you know over here we've got everything's dam driven and so like they jerk the lakes up and down so quick Mm -hmm. and the bluffs are always so consistent because that fish doesn't have to move out like it doesn't have to you know it doesn't have to swim 50 yards in any direction it literally just goes up with the water and down with the water and that's why i tell people like focus on that vertical cover when you're looking for those suspended fish because that's where they live like if if they live on a bluff wall they're suspending they're suspending their whole life and then just throw something jerk bait crank bait spinner bait spy yeah. baits even something a rig yes and like you know and just go crack their ass i mean because it's yeah. just that's where the big ones live and you can go have fun doing it. And dude, like the A-Rig, you know, it's such a, for me, I overlook it now. I think because so many people have thrown it around. I mean, dude, God, like I cannot tell you every, I mean, dude, yes. It's every like boat around you three like, out there with A-Rigs flying around your head. Like everybody's got them. And then two, like, I don't, I don't know what in Colorado, I don't know what it's like, but like, I know, where was it? I told somebody to throw an A-Rig and I almost got them in trouble because like they went and rigged it. Yeah, they went and rigged up three hooks on their A-rig and, like, got pulled over by the DNR, like, immediately. Wow. <laughs> and was like, it was like, well, I saw it on YouTube. And the dude was like, well, don't listen to YouTube. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, don't listen to me. Like, check the law first. Like, yeah, so I preface thing. every A-rig conversation with, make sure to check the laws in your state before you go and do anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah, I know for sure. But you're dead on the bluff walls, like uh, especially that reservoir I'm talking about, Pueblo. We had a um, 
TBF semi-national there last year that I qualified for, and I ended up taking second in it. And I, yeah. I, I almost won it on the bluffs completely. That's all I was doing. All these other guys, like what I had found was I found this area, an area, again, like three coves next to each other. Only one of them had fish in it. One of them had activity. One of them had bait busting, small bait. Yeah. And a couple other guys had found it, and they were fishing those the, the bait out in the middle and these fish chasing. And every fish I caught out there, was small and I and I the big ones were either beneath those fish or they were on the bluff and no one was hitting the bluff next to it and dude those fish on the bluff were insane I mean I went down that bluff and I and then that's what my really my pattern was I turned around and I was like look I told my cone I'm like look man it's gonna be kind of a tough day hopefully we can uh figure something out where after I get my limit we can switch things up or you can throw a Carolina rig behind me but I'm going parallel dude i'm running these bluffs and and it was that situation those fish were just sitting on the on the shade especially in the fall i think can play a big role is in the shade situations and they were just waiting for one group of shad to swing by them and come out and eat it and so i was catching them on a lot of everything's cranking though was one of those things yeah rig swim bait i mean it was just a a matter of, of really getting down to the smaller size bait fish too i think a lot of guys didn't realize how small that bait they were chasing was it was yeah. tiny yeah. So is that something that you deal with a lot? Cause I know here on certain lakes, dude, we get those like glass minnows. Like oh, they're yeah. just like the tiniest little bait. And it seems like for some reason, you know, I talked earlier about like bass keying and you know, on calorically high like things, but like <laughs> the bass like, will get keyed like- in on. Yeah. <laughs> why are you swimming around trying to kill that thing? Like there's a whole pot of bluegill in the back of this pocket. Go eat that. Like why are you out here trying to chase these? But, dude, like, those little bitty bait, like, that is some of the hardest crap to try to mimic. You know what I mean? And, like, I don't know. I I know for me, and I I want your opinion on this, Adam. I'd love to know. Like, for me, I almost go to the opposite. Like, I go with, like, a whopper plopper or something. Mm -hmm. It's just something that throws a lot of water, and it it makes it – I don't know if it's in my mind I think this or if it actually does it. But, like, with a whopper plopper, it throws a lot of water, and it almost looks like a lot of little bait. uh, I see what you're saying. I like it. Yeah. 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 And, like, I've noticed that, like, when they're on that stuff, that getting them to come up and commit on something, like, on top or Mm -hmm. right subsurface, you know what I mean, something small and something like a spy bait or, like, a small swim bait or something like that is really the only way I can get them to eat. You know what I mean? Because it's like – I don't know. It's crazy, dude. I mean, I've seen like the other day is a great example of this. I went down a bluff of the fluke and I thought, dude, this is it. Like they're going to crack this fluke because Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of bait on this bluff. Dude, they'd swim up behind it and look at it. And then like you would see the cloud of bait move behind them and they just U-turn and go for the cloud of bait. And I'm like, (laughs) why are you not eating the five inch fluke? Like eat it. You know what I mean? (laughs) I spent a lot of time like observing those fish schooling on tiny, tiny bait. There's there's one area around here that I fish a lot. It's like, you know, that Paradise Cove right across from Chester Frost. And it's like you see mm-hmm. these these tiny bait. And what happens is these white bass get on there and they get, they push these bait all the way to the surface. And it's almost like those, you see those whales that come up and eat herring and stuff. Like they blow the bubbles and they yeah. come up. It's like they yeah. use the white bass to corral these little, little shad into little tight bundles. And there'll be like little tight bundles and you'll see eight and 10 pound bass like right next to the boat come up and they'll just get a mouthful of all those shad and go back down. And that's the thing. You can't mimic that. And so like right at dark, I can throw a rig in there Mm -hmm. and catch one random big one. Mm -hmm. But the main thing that I figured out with those kind of schooling fish, when they're on that tiny bait, you don't want to catch those fish when they're up. You'll never catch the big one when they're up. You got to figure out where are those fish sitting to ambush 
before they go up and you see them schooling. It's usually close by, but it's not directly below that spot. Mm-hmm. Look on your graph, find that hard bottom that's within 15 yards of that area. That's where those fish stage at before they come up and feed. If you can figure out how to catch those fish when they're staging down there, that's how you catch the big ones every time. Mm-hmm. And it's usually something finessey, uh, you know, again, what I was talking about before, my, my bobber rig and stuff. It's just like you can catch all those fish like that. But And, and what you were talking about, Adam, with the uh, the bluff waltz, the same thing. You were fishing for the big fish because they're, they're not dumb. They're not going to be like those little fish and use up all their energy chasing that bait around. Mm-hmm. They'll let the little fish corral the bait and break them up, and then the little schools of bait – what they do, they get on that structure like a bluff wall and they parallel it. It gives them something to feel safe against. Those bass just sit right off the edge of it. As soon as they see that pot of bait come by, they got something to ambush it against. Yep. And so that's why, you know, you're catching the right fish there. It's thinking outside the box like that. You, you got to get into that area and then find the spot on the spot every time. Like if I find a fish that's got a three, you know, an area that's got a 300 fish school in it, I don't care anything about that. I want to know what the cast is. What mm-hmm. is the cast? And then if you're in a tournament situation, be the guy that gets there first and makes the cast. You don't go chasing, you know, what's going on in front of you. You figure out that area. Where is the biggest fish going to sit? And nine times out of ten, you can find it. You know, there's there's an area that it's a couple big rocks at the end of the point where all the fish are sitting. It's one big stump. It's, uh, you know, it's a little point that pops out right there. Where's the big fish at? Go over there. Catch yeah. the big fish. And then you can and work. I mean, dude, we've done that so many times together. Yeah. Like, we've been on a school of three and four pounders. And, like, dude, it's fun. Like, yeah. when you're cranking a square bill and you're catching three or four pounders, you don't yeah. complain. But, like, Caleb's gone, let's cast literally 10 foot to the left because yeah. there's just a small divot in the bottom there. And, like, me and him both double up on six pounders. Wow. Like, and because that's where that bigger than average fish doesn't want to be with the school. They take they the want to be spot. near the school, but yeah. they don't want to be with the school and they're just yeah. slightly off. And like the bluff wall thing, man, I think it's just one of those deals. It's like they still have access to deep water, they still have access to food, but they don't have to be out in the middle of the lake chasing everything. Mm-hmm. They can chill right there and just eat what is presented to them. And then two, the crawdad thing I think is huge. Sometimes I've seen so many crawdads crawling around on those bluffs. Like, you know, you get, you get something hung up and you go over to pop it loose and like there's four crawdads like crawling around and you're like, Oh, so that's why they're sitting here. Like, it's like, you know, when the, when the hamburger's not swimming by, there's popcorn laying on the bank for them to go eat. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's it's like, I tell, I don't fish tournaments that often. But I tell the tournament guys all the time, it's like, go find 30 or 40 spots that you can make five casts on that are that are, it's a big fish spot. Because if you go fish 30 or 40 of those in a day, guess what? You're going to run into five of the right ones. Absolutely. You know, you can catch the biggest bag of the tournament by doing that. And, and that's the thing. E- even in the fall, you know, it's so easy to get caught in the mentality to see these fish school. And it's like I had to talk myself out of that. Like I literally sat in some of these areas that are just beat to death. And and I was like, I'm not moving until I find a way to catch these fish that no one else can catch because I can Mm -hmm. see them. I know the right fish are here. I'm not moving until I can do it. Mm -hmm. Community holes are community holes for a reason. man. Exactly. Exactly. And, And some of these community holes around here, like they're 
no one fishes them anymore. Like they, they'll pull in there and everyone, there's 30 boats in there for the first 10 minutes of the tournament. And then everybody leaves because it sucks that bad. Mm-hmm. But again, <clears throat> I completely thought outside the box and was like, okay, get away from the fish that I'm seeing. Like I know the activities there. I know the fish are here. Where are they sitting when they're not feeding? Figure that out. Four or five waypoints later, you find that, okay, this is where the fish are sitting. Graph it, graph it, graph it, graph it, graph it. Go over it a million times until you're like, okay, this little section, this five foot by five foot area is white hot on there. It's harder bottom. Even though this is all hard bottom for this 30 yard section, this is the hardest bottom. This has Mm -hmm. two boulders on it. There's no boulders over there. This has a small section of chunk rock or shell. Just anything slightly different like that, especially if it's something small. If it's if it's the size of the hood of your truck, you better dang well mark it and make mm-hmm. that cast first because that's the one that you don't want to mess up on. Mm-hmm. And you can dial that in to every spot that you fish, especially if you're in spots where there's schooling fish, where you know there's groups of fish. Break it down, find out where the biggest fish sits because they the big fish. I mean, he's he's top dog, right? She's top dog. She's going to knock everybody else out of the way. And she's going to sit at the best area to sit. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's Dominant. like tournament fishing. When you're out there practicing, as soon as you catch a couple fish on that spot, you're like, okay, I'm not going to touch them anymore. I'm going to leave. First thing you should do, go over there and graph. I mean, run all over them because you're not going to spook them bad enough to mess them up for the next day. Run all over them until you figure out what is the spot on the spot. Mm-hmm. You can make yeah. that exact lineup, that exact cast. And then figure out different angles on it too, you know, deep to shallow, shallow to deep. Take that that fish outside its element. Show the fish something, you know, a bait from a different presentation, different angle than they normally see. And nine times out of 10, you can fool that fish and it'll be the right one out of that. You know, you'll be in an area that's got a million three pounders schooling, but there's one six and a half right there and you'll come away with the six and a half. Mm -hmm. That's a a really good point because like, especially in the fall, like Alex made the point earlier, is like when you catch one, make sure you make that same cast cut more times because chances mm-hmm. are in the fall, especially when they group together, there's going to be more fish there. And there's mm-hmm. there's people that will get on those fish, cast, 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 and they're like, oh, it's been 10 casts, I haven't caught anything, let's keep moving. When reality, mm-hmm. you could easily just switch colors or a complete different profile or even just the, like you mentioned, it's the direction it's of your cast. Oh, yeah. yeah. Turn on, you know. It could just be you could, that. Yeah, yeah, it could be a simple rock pile, and you're casting from the south side. You just got to go to the north side and cast. It's a complete mm-hmm. change of direction, and then they're fired Keep back. honest. Because once you mm-hmm. find fish, the fish are there. Nine times out of ten, they are catchable in some way. It might be tough. It might be a timing deal. But the right fish is there. Once you figure out where the right kind of fishes are, you know, just, just figure out how to catch them. Like, beat your head against the wall until you figure it out. Mm-hmm. Right. What, so, one more thing, Bailey, on what Caleb said. Dude, that, right. that is like mind blowing to me as far as, or, or is going to be something that I'm really going to work on this fall and into next year, because so many times I roll up on a spot in practice and I catch a couple fish and, or a fish, and then I'm shaking a couple off and I'm just someone who's always like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to mess with these fish. I want to yeah. get right. You know what I mean? The first thing mm-hmm. to do is pull the trolling motor and go. It's like, well, Really, let's take a minute here, and and especially in the fall when these fish are yeah. grouped up and there isn't much other options, right? You find an area of fish, and it's like this could be all all you need, really, if mm-hmm. this is high school, and find the spot on the spot where that bigger one's going to Yeah, stay. and mm-hmm. that's the thing, dude. Like most of these fall fish, they break up at night. 
Mm-hmm. That's why it, it's like, you know, sometimes the first thing in the morning bite doesn't work until later in the fall. Because most of these fall fish, the schools break up completely overnight. Mm-hmm. And it takes them all day. That's why it's an afternoon bite. It takes them all day to regroup in that area. Mm-hmm. To start that Especially main lake. I so think, you gonna- know, <clears throat> like for me, I do a lot of like creek and river fishing. Like I take the old 10 rig up into places that ain't that boat's not supposed to go. Like, <laughs> like I run, I run that thing like it's Modern. a tunnel hole. Yeah, I mean, I run that thing like it's a tunnel hole, and it's not a tunnel hole. You know what I mean? Like, I ever seen. Yeah, I'm telling you something. Like, I'm I'm the dude who got his rolled his 18 foot aluminum boat up onto a stump and was using the power pole to push it off of the stump. Like, I'm that guy, right? <laughs> and so, like, in those scenarios, you know, Adam was saying, like, if you are tournament fishing in that scenario and you get a bite or two you leave because those are very residential fish. Mm-hmm. And if you catch them and take them out, it's going to be a long time before more fish decide to move back up into that area or squirrel their way back up that, you know, in that scenario, I'm looking for something no one else has touched yet. But like when you, Caleb's talking about what, and kind of to give context to what Caleb's talking about to everybody listening, we're talking about main lake scenarios where you have schools of big schools of fish And like, you know, way too many people get caught up on this idea that you're going to spook the school of fish away. You're not. There are fish constantly moving in and out and in and out and in and out. And especially in any kind of riverine system where there's current, there's fish that just get pushed off and they drift down to the next point and stop. And there's four more drift into their spot. And I mean, I've been with Caleb and we've seen it where like, you know, you fish and 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 like you think you've caught them all and literally you move over 50 yards and make another cast in completely different direction. And like all of a sudden here comes the whole school comes alive again. And it's because they're setting there and there's so many of them and they're reloading. And so I think w- one thing that people need to understand is like, don't be scared to spook them unless you're in a situation where you're fishing for very residential fish, where you're doing things. Yeah. Yeah. Like I like to do, or like a John Cox, like John Cox does this. That was like when he won his first forest wood cup. That's why he was so worried about that spot is because he knew that there was only a finite amount of fish that actually lived in there. Whereas when you go more main lake or these bluffs, like we were talking about earlier, you know, dude, there's so many fish in that. Bailey, you know, bro, we know, like there's yeah. so many fish that live in only one area that it would absolutely blow your mind if you could just yeah. drain the lake and see them. They're and, and there. That's, that's yeah. what I'm talking about is just like if you're going through and you're practicing for a derby, no matter where you're at, catch a couple of those fish, shake them off, whatever. But before you leave, run them over with your side scan, and your down scan, and, and just figure that out. You're not going to spook those fish. They're not going to go anywhere. You're going to scatter mm-hmm. them right then. I mean, if anything, that's going to help you because – Whoever comes back there after that point and is practicing, sure. they're going to be, you know, fishing for fish that are scattered. Run them over a couple of times. Figure out exactly where those fish are sitting, like where would yeah. the big fish be, and then go on. Because the next day, they're all going to be right back where they were. Yeah. It's, it, that's not going to hurt them. I mean, there's enough boats running over these fish. They ain't going to care. Yeah. Right. Yep. So this question from Christopher Wilson uh, asking the best way to locate fall fish on a large lake. I think we might all have the same answer here, but I'm still going to put it out to see if you guys have anything different. Dynamite. <laughs> yeah. Shock them up. Shock them up. Just get, uh, get the shock boat start shocking. No. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, my, my answer to that would be have a bunch of rods on deck 
and be willing to cover as much water as possible until you stumble upon them pretty much is basically my answer to that. But I'm very curious if you guys have any other things, any other tips for them when you go out, maybe it's a new brand, a new body of water as well. And you're just trying to find fish. So I'm going to go back to what I referenced a few minutes ago, being the guy who goes up into little creeks and rivers and things and does that kind of fishing. Cause that's just what I like to do. I go find choke points. I go find places where bass bait and current are forced to be choked down into an area. And that could be as simple as a bridge or a tight spot in the creek or a river bend or a creek bend somewhere where that, that current and the bait and the fish have to consolidate if there's any kind of movement. And then within that area, once I find that, go find the area that is best for those fish to sit on and be able to ambush whatever's coming to them. Um, and so I know in the fall, that's something I definitely look for, you know, miles of creeks are great because it's a consolidation area. You know what I mean? They have to consolidate there. They have to, you know, live in that area and be in that area because it's where the food's at. It's where the food's going to be. It's where the food is coming to. It's where the water, if the water is being dropped down, it's where it's forcing them to go, you know, and chick is a great example of that. And like the whole Hawassi river is a great example of that. And Watts bar is a great example of that. Because, like, you know, it's a bunch of creeks and creek arms that all feed into this big main river channel. You know, and the colder it gets and the more that water drops, the more them fish are literally forced out of those creeks towards the mouths of the the creeks and then eventually into the main river channel. And so if you can start following that progression, you can stay on fish all throughout the fall. And so that's just for me. I mean, like that's coming from somebody who loves water this deep and loves throwing a crankbait yeah. and a chatterbait and flipping. Now, big, like, you know, main lake as far, you know, that's big lakes. You know, I'm talking, you know, these lakes that I fish, you know, Watts Bar, 70,000 acres. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. And so I'm just finding a microbiome inside of this giant biome. You know, I'm finding this one situation in a big situation. And so that's just one point of view. You know, Caleb, I, you know, Caleb, Adam, you know, you can kind of give your point of view. That's just something you, I do. When you're talking about a big, big body of water, if, if you're going, if you're starting fresh, like you're just showing up to a big lake, best thing I can tell you to do is to find an area where you can condense this body of water. So what, what does this body of water have? If it's a river system, maybe it has grass, maybe it has bluff walls, maybe it has, you know, creek arms and stuff. Um, if it's a highland reservoir, maybe it has, you know, a, a certain amount of creeks. Well, if you're going to find a, if you want to know a fisher in the creeks, first thing I do, I find a creek that is a manageable size. And then I can easily find out if those fish are in the first third, second third, or final third of that creek. Mm-hmm. If you go into the biggest creek of the lake, it's a lot harder to break that down. Whereas if you pick one of the smaller ones, you can run up in there and figure that out lickety split same thing with flats. If you're if you're going to go fish a flat, find a flat that necks down. That that's one of the smaller flats. That way you can find the isolated grass patches, the main grass patches, the inside, uh, you know, channel edge of that, and you can fish those areas fast. And what I also like to do is I like to find areas that have a lot of different, like diverse color, that or diverse cover and diverse um, feed, you know, forage for those fish. So it's like, I'm going to look on my Google Earth. I'm going to find an area. I'm like, okay, this is a small creek. It's got, you know, a little tributary that runs into it back here. It's got some secondary points on it. It's got grass. It's got this bluff wall over here. And it's got some docks over here. Boom. 
I can run in there and within an hour I can graph and quickly fish that creek and know, hey, these are, there's a bunch of fish on these docks and on these secondary points. Let me go check a big creek. Boom, I'm over there. Same thing. Or I roll up to this flat and I'm like, you know, I don't know if they're on the inside grass line, outside grass line, if they're on the isolated patches. Boom, I can go in there in an hour. Boom, I know. Okay, they're on the isolated stuff. They're eating a frog. Here we go. And then I'll start running these big flats. And then I'm not, I'm not just fishing. I'm stopping. You know, I'm big motor, run to the next little patch, 10 cast, big motor, run to the next little patch, 10 cast. And then you're efficient that way. That's the thing. It, it can be so overwhelming, especially a lot of these guys that come from up north and fish these giant lakes that we've got. Chickamauga is huge. Washbar is huge. I mean, Nickajack is huge to most people. Yeah, it is. It, it's it's wild, and so and it's tiny compared and to others. Down and make it manageable. Spend time with yeah. your maps. You know, break the lake into thirds. Break the creeks into thirds. Decide what areas that you're going to start on, and then expound on the patterns from there. Mm-hmm. Make it small, make it manageable, and then expound from there. Mm-hmm. I like that. Go, go yeah, ahead. one quick note to to add to Christopher's question is now Christopher early earlier in the chat was saying how he uh, will be competing in the uh, the local kayak trail that I'm in next year. This concept is actually pretty dang hard to get a grasp of, and this is where the difficulty of kayak fishing comes in. And Alex, I know you can relate to this is like for fall fishing, you know, like Caleb going to your point of like being able to bounce areas and find up your motor, make a couple casts, fire up your motor, yeah. make a couple casts. Well, for us, it's make five casts, spend 45 minutes pedaling to the next spot, make five <laughs> yeah, casts, exactly. 45 minutes pedaling to the next spot, make five casts. It's it's a it's a whole different world uh, in kayak fishing, especially fall yeah, fishing. You just got to – much more important though. So if, if like yeah. you're practicing with a kayak on a big lake, first thing I'm going to do is roll up into a smaller area of whatever I think might be the, the main pattern. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to roll up into that area and it's something that I can manage to fish as a kayak angler. And then I'm going to get some stop off points. I'm like, okay, this is the pattern I was able to figure out in a couple hours. Now, what are the big areas? What are the right areas that have this pattern? Boom. I run through there. Then I can, you know, drive in my truck, make three or four more stops and figure out, okay, this flat's got them, this flat's got them, but this flat has a mat that has like eight pounders in it. Boom. I'm going to, you know, put my kayak in, I'm going to hit this. And then if all things go bad, then I've got three other spots that I could pop out real quick. It's like, you can be so efficient. What's so funny is way ahead. What's so funny is like, I have two methods of kayak fishing. First method is that where I literally run myself ragged within a day and I'm exhausted by the end of the day because I've loaded my Hobie 14 times into the back of my truck yeah, and drove yeah. the entire circumference of the lake. Like, you know what I mean? Used a whole tank of gas and or it's that what I was talking about earlier is that cons- like finding those consolidated areas where the, yeah. the current has to consolidate down, which again, it plays right into what Caleb's talking about. It's breaking creeks into thirds, starting the back third and move towards the front. I just do it. I just do it in an opposite fashion. You know what I mean? Like, so that's, you know, that's, but Caleb's right. I mean, dude, we've done it. I mean, we do it now. That's what I'm working. Literally what I work on every time I go to the lake is like, I have to break this giant area down into thirds and go figure out the third that they are in. And then within that go to what Caleb was talking about and what Adam was talking about the spot within the spot. And that's how you start to break down lakes. I mean, that's that's the process. And I mean, 
I know for newer anglers, that is such a hard concept to wrap your head around. Mm -hmm. And the best piece of advice that I can give you is spend a ton of time on the water. Spend as every waking moment that you have that you don't have to be at work or you don't have a responsibility to fulfill. Be out there with a rod and a reel in your hand. Because the reason Caleb is so good at fishing is because the dude fishes more than Mm -hmm. I do. You know what I mean? And the reason I'm so good at summer fishing is because I'm a teacher and I have all summer off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like those are the reasons that we're good at the things that we do and our fishing styles are so different is because we capitalize on the time that we have, you know, to do what we love, which is fishing. And we do it all the freaking time. That's what makes a pro a good pro like pros who have the ability and financial freedom to go and fish all the time. That's why those guys get so good. It's because they've yeah. seen it all. It's a, what's that state farm commercial? We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. That's, yeah, that's and, what those dudes <laughs> turn into. Uh, I, I agree completely with that. And the only thing I would add is like spend as much time on the water that you can, but always spend quality time out there. In other words, you're always doing your research beforehand. You're doing your homework. Mm-hmm. You're out there on Google Maps. You're over there, you know, looking at lake levels. You're looking at maps. That way you have a general idea and you're constantly expounding <laughs> on things before you even get out there. Take, you know, spend good time, especially if you're in a tournament situation, you're on a big lake, a new lake. If you haven't done 12 to 20 hours worth of map study, you've shot yourself in the foot to begin with. Because you you can in in 10 hours, you can become as proficient as 80 percent of the locals as far as having a, a concept of what's going on on that body of water. That way, when you hit that pattern. It'll you know immediately ring a bell of three or four other places that you can go in that area to hit. Instead of you, you know, getting on a school of fish, you catch ten out of there, and you're like, oh crap, they stop biting. What do I do now? Mm-hmm. It's like as soon as you're catching those fish, and while you are, you're like, dude, this is this point. It tapers off this way. Like the creek down from here has the same thing. I cannot wait to go hit that. Mm-hmm. The wind's blowing into it too. And mm-hmm. so as soon as you're done there, you're over there and you're like, and I remember right over here, there was another one. And so then you, by doing that, like if you're spending the time and money and energy to go out there and fish a tournament, if you're not doing that, I don't know what to tell you. Like you, you shot yourself in the foot to begin with, because I don't go any on any trips to any lake that I haven't spent so much time. Just like, even when Ben and I, like we're up in Michigan and we'll decide to fish a lake the night before. And, this dude's on his phone until four in the morning, like looking at every little point. And I've got like a million waypoints before dude, we listen, before we even got on this, this live stream, I was literally on Google earth looking at a lake that I have fished more than I have ever. Like I, it's like a yeah. fi- lake that I fish all the time, but I'm still like on Google earth, just looking like constantly. Like if you see me on my phone at any point and I'm going yeah. like literally all I'm doing is just looking and dropping pins and then referencing over to navionics and studying the maps and like looking because i mean i really caleb's right i mean that's one of those things that for new anglers especially i think that helps to take a lot of that curve out of the learning curve so many of these kids like the high school and college um you know circuits and stuff you can tell i mean you can tell when these kids get out of the college circuits and like they're hitting into the pros now it's like these guys are making waves it's because they're they got the right kind of electronics. They got the right kind of attitude. They're using technology to help them out. And so they can take, I mean, hey, you know, Cole, I mean, heck, he fished the lake for three years and he knew more about the lake than I did, you know, like my entire life sitting there fishing that lake. Mm-hmm. 
you know, that's like a really good example. A lot of these young kids, I mean, hey, they can find everything that I know in three hours. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's wild. It's like just just spend technology. Go ahead. And do it. You know what I mean? It's like it use every tool in the toolbox, and that's one of the best ones. And that's when you yeah. get old men shaking their fist at clouds because they hate the fact that yeah. they're kids oh, that can literally. 25 years, this little yeah. kid goes up in a bass boat and just starts whacking them right in front of them. Yeah. Uh, that's so funny. Yeah, your boy uh, Cole got a top 10 at uh, Lake Norman. That kid's a dang hammer. Dad yeah. Jim, just natural. So they need to call yeah. him natural. He's like, like, that's what he is. The boat with him, it's just like he's like a human saint when he goes through. You know, it's <laughs> like he filters through every single bass that's ahead of you. Yeah, and you better be fishing on the opposite side of the boat or wherever he's at. Just have a Carolina rig dragging it behind the boat because that's the yeah. only chances you exactly. got. <laughs> my bow out and just start trying to shoot stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's where the so, mid '80s I was talking about a few minutes ago comes into play. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Alex, going back to your when we're talking about suspended fishing, finding the vertical cover, uh, the question you're asking about top three vertical bait. So, like, does he mean like dropping on them? Because that's a whole different think, route within yeah, itself. We were talking about vertical cover, so I think that's what he was referring to. Bluffs. Yeah, so like I think, bluffs and stuff like yeah. this. For me, it's a crankbait, like a small body, medium diving crankbait, like my number one confidence. You know, like rock crawler 3xd anything in that a rock crawler specifically because spro did a really good job of making a medium diving crankbait that can get down to 15 foot so i yeah. can effectively fish that you know what i mean then a jerk bait is going to be my other one um especially as it starts to get colder i just the power of a jerk bait to draw fish up for me is huge um and then something like an alabama rig or a spinner bait something in that kind of realm you know is going to be something else and then like a jig I mean, like you can effectively fish a jig on a bluff, especially if it's like those kind of stair step bluffs. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've noticed anyway around me. We got a lot of sandstone and limestone. And so that limestone and that sandstone breaks off in like sheets. And so over time, as it erodes away, it doesn't really like just it, like it breaks off and like creates these stair steps all the way down the bluff. And so like the fish will sit on those kind of, I say stair steps, they're just natural breaks in the rock Mm -hmm. and you can effectively fish a jig on stuff like that. So that's kind of my, my top baits. I think I agree with that. I I would add, so your sinking baits, you know, when you're talking about fishing a jig or swim bait or something like that on a bluff wall, fall rate is incredibly important when you're talking about fishing vertical cover. Do they want Mm -hmm. it falling fast? Do they want it falling slow? You need to learn like, with your particular bait, what the pendulum effect is on that bait. That mm-hmm. way, you know, if the fish is suspending along that vertical structure, if you know where that fish is, you can actually pendulum your bait and keep it in the strike zone longer. So you mm-hmm. can arrest the fall of the bait. You know, you can control the fall rate by the way of the bait, but you can also arrest the fall in the strike. Well, Caleb just died. Uh-oh. The Russians have attacked. That's it. We're over YouTube, with. YouTube said they had enough of BassQuest. Yeah. No more. Adam, do you have anything to add to that whole vertical bait conversation? Yeah, man. Uh, again, just a lot of our lakes, it's clear water bluff walls. What well, I do, what just happened there? <laughs> oh, yeah. We thought you died. He's back. Yeah. He's yeah. back. Well, it's, it's not like the Russians, everybody. Pendulum, like that effect. You can you can get that with swim baits. You can get it with jigs with your your creature baits. Like for me, 
fishing vertical structure. I agree completely with Alex. I love things that can hang, you know, something that can suspend, you know, whether it's a big glide bait, whether it's a jerk bait. And you can actually get your rigs to suspend too by playing with the weight, getting them really light to where when you're reeling that thing slow, it's staying at one level. Same thing yep. with swim baits. Um, but I, I really like to, to get on a jig bite where I can get, again, right up against that bluff wall and then pendulum that bait and keep it right in the strike zone. If I know the fish are biting that thing at about 12 foot, I'll rest the fall at nine and let it pendulum back towards me. That way it just stays right around that fish you know, for a good eight foot. So I'm fishing like an eight or 10 foot section of that bluff wall instead of just like dropping, you know, like little prayers <laughs> here and there. <laughs> uh, so Adam, what, what were you saying about clear, what you were saying, clear water, man? Yeah. So like two things for me when it comes to bluff wall fishing, uh, I'm either going to be against it, like Rudd's talking about, throwing a crankbait down it, throwing an A-rig down it, jerking down it, that kind of a thing. Or I'm going to do also what you guys are talking about as far as with a jig, I love throwing, especially in clear water. I mean, it's a staple on like Lake Mead, like all the guys fishing the U S open here soon. It's going to be the original U S open that is, but it's going to be a small, <laughs> a small jig, a finesse jig on those bluffs. That's a huge staple. Just really popping it down those stair steps. Mm-hmm. Another thing to me, that's not as much in the fall, but as far as just bluffs, if you're on any clear water situation, um, Something way over overlooked, in my opinion, is is throwing a Sanko on a bluff wall, man. Mm-hmm. Having that thing, it's the same concept, mm-hmm. right? That hanging mm-hmm. process, right? Of just, I mean, literally, like next thing you know, a three pound spot eats it. Wow, I was yeah. wild out of nowhere. And so, um, to me, yeah, it's it's kind of either going stepping off that thing, and I like throwing a jig on it, or um, even a flick shake or a drop shot, a light drop shot coming down those bluffs, mm-hmm. or I'm going to be against it and I'm power fishing. Those are kind of mm-hmm. my two, the two ways I'm looking at it. Mm-hmm. I, I like all those answers. I think the only one I have that could add to that, well, actually I'll say two, but the one that, you know, referring to, to Chickamauga that I fell in love with last November when I fished an event there was throwing a big glide bait. Right on, right next to those buff walls. <laughs> oh yeah, I figured oh, yeah. that answer would make Caleb happy, but that oh, thing. Yeah. Uh, after seeing, so I had go went down his bluff hole with a top water, and I had one of the biggest fish in my life, just completely like you know, cow jumping over the moon on over my spook, like was nowhere yeah. near eating you it. Hated when they did it. So this, uh, Caleb, I wonder if you remember this. Is I literally called you after the two fish did that. And I'm like, dude what am I doing wrong? Because I'm walking this thing so dang slow, but they won't need it. And, I'm like, and he goes, dude, you got a glide bait? I was like, no, like not on me having like an S waiver. And then you brought me a shine glide. I think that next, that next day. And I literally go to that same bluff fall. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. I don't think this thing will work. And I just chuck it. Same line as I found the spook. And as soon as it hits the water, bam, five pounder. I'm like, all right, yeah. this dude, genius so like yeah. and, and after, it since took the hooks off because i had a tournament coming up and then literally like the next five casts you just you felt yourself getting bumped and slammed up yeah. i don't know i fell in love with the glide bait but i think yeah. another one too yeah. yes I, and in that strike zone another one that you could i think is a technically a sinking bait but you can make hang depending on either whether you're penduluming but else just has a slow fall uh in general is a spy bait I yeah. think that's one you can kind of get freaky with yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, uh, we, don't talk, we don't talk about that. 
There's <laughs> <laughs> been a lot. Dude, the spot, the spot man. man. Say what? I've been learning a lot. Silent capture. <laughs> What'd you say, Adam? There, I hear you. No, just I, it's been it's been cool to hear kind of everyone's perspective on things. It's been yeah. I've I've learned a lot. Just I mean, listening in on how you guys look at things differently. I, I really starting to put together more like hang time and things that I think about that make yeah. all these baits similar on why they, yeah. why they can be effective. Yeah, yeah. yeah dude. I, I think hang time in front of a fish's face is probably one of the most underlooked aspects of getting something to getting a bass to bite something. You know what I mean? Lethal. Like, I think that's why jerk bait's so deadly. Like, and it's one thing I wanted to hit on was like the, I cannot overstate enough the power of a jerk bait. Like, yeah. seriously, just insane the power of a jerk bait. Like, even in dirty water, like people, that's another thing. Like, people are like, in the yeah, fall, yeah. we get a lot of dirty water, and people are like, literally had a, I'll never forget this conversation. Water. I'll never forget this conversation. It was me and my dad, and we probably caught 21, 22 pounds of fish on a jerk bait. And like, when I say we caught 21 or 22 pounds, that was our best five out of like, 30 that day like it was one of those days you know what i mean and like it was probably two foot visibility and we were catching them on a jerk bait and i and in like the thing was like when this guy pulls up and he's like we all catching them on we're like a jerk bait he's like it's too dirty for that and like me and dad literally looked at each other and went huh okay buddy good to see you man and like we just drove off and just kept on fishing but like dude the, the drawing power of that jerk bait is like especially in the fall, man, like all these scenarios we're talking about, whether it be the bait fish or finding them consolidated in an area or finding a school or whatever it is. Like in my book, there's only two baits that you can truly like hang in a fish's face. And that's a jerk bait. And then some kind of Cinco style bait. And even the Cinco style bait wanes in that category because it eventually will sink. And so the jerk bait is something you can literally crack it and like make it do a 180, and it just sits there. And for that fish's face and then crack it again. And it just sits there. And dude, like, I think that that fulfills every single need to kill and eat. And like, it just does everything that a bass needs it to do. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it is, I don't even know how to, what we could compare it to in the, like our world as it's like the thing that you need. You know what I mean? Chick-fil-A. But it is the thing. Chick-fil-A, bro. Yes, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yes. The Lord's Nuggies. Like a number one large with a dot coat. Jesus is Chick-fil-A sauce. Like Jesus is chicken. Yes, absolutely. The Lord's Nuggies. It's like the it's it's like if someone goes, Do you want Chick-fil-A? You don't go, No, I don't want Chick-fil-A. You say, Yes, I want Chick-fil-A. And are you buying? And that's what a jerk bait does for a bass. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's my buddy. So powerful. Yeah. I mean, so many big fish on a jerk bait year round. I mean, dead of summer to dead of winter doesn't matter. Conditions like Alex was saying, cloudy, sunny, stained water, you know, shallow water, deep water, you name it. And again, that that's that that hang time, being able to put a bait in a fish's face and leave it there. Yep. And and that's another thing too is experiment with retrieves, experiment with different brands of jerk bait. You know, because Tactical Bassin does some great videos on that as far as like different jerk baits for different times of the year. And that really does apply. There's certain kinds of jerk baits that fish like in warm water. There's certain kinds of jerk baits that they like in colder water. Um, but I'll tell you, one of the, the most killer retrieves in warmer water when you're getting to the fall, um, especially in this transition time, you know, a lot of guys are sitting out there cracking a jerk bait and they're cracking it. You know, just doing fishing it like 
everyone knows to fish a jerk bait. Get out there, throw it out there, sweep it like a Carolina rig, stop it, yep. reel up the slack, mm. sweep it again, reel yep. up the slack, sweep it again, reel up the slack. Literally that. Or burn and stop it. If you're in the summertime and you get around fish that are schooling and really hard to catch, burn that thing down there, whether it's a silent one or a rattling one. Burn it down there, stop it. Burn it down there, stop it. Burn it. And then when you get to where that school of fish is, burn it really hard and just kill it and just leave it in front of their face. And they, as soon as you go to turn that handle again, you better hold on because they're going to take the rod from you. Mm-hmm. It's just like treat it like a, you know, it could be a crankbait. It could be a jerkbait. It doesn't matter. Whatever you think it is, it's something that sits there. Mm-hmm. It suspends. Like I do the mm-hmm. same thing. I make crankbait suspend all the time. A lot of my small yep. body cranks, I've waited out to where they'll suspend. Yep. Yep. So I can reel that thing down there and kill it <laughs> and just leave it there. If it's dead or winter, I might leave that thing there 10, 15 seconds. And then all of a sudden my cricket will just start walking off. And that's one thing that like, I don't, I don't, I don't communicate it on my videos very often because it's something that I think people, it's like, I don't know. It's like almost, I want people to discover it on their own. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like, I want them to go. It's like, yeah, like I want them to be standing on the water and go, well, that son of a bitch. You know what I mean? Cause like, <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, you need to be fishing two X strong hooks on this bait. And yeah. you need to be as a number six, two X strong hook. And they're like, why are you fishing such a heavy hook? Are you worried about the hooks bending out? And I'm like, no, it's not really it. Just like, and it's what yeah. it does is it turns this bait into a suspending crankbait and or a slow rising crankbait. And I mean, I have cranks in the box that, you know, spro rock crawlers and stuff like that, that again, letting some juicy information out here, hot take um, that, you know, when I reel them down there, they don't go whoop. They reel them down there and they just kind of, and just barely move back. Yeah, up. It's killer. Dude. It's killer. Dude. Get like, one especially, this. Yeah. And especially like the winter, you know, if late fall in, into the winter, man, you know, the more turbulent the water gets, the more adverse the fishing conditions get, the more pressure a place has. I mean, whatever factor it is that puts pressure on fish, it makes them not want to eat. It's an instinctual drive of self-preservation and you have to make that fish go against that self-preservation instinct. And I think as anglers, that's the single hardest thing. That's our single hardest job is to trick the fish. You know what I mean? And, and I think the two ways that we can do that, well, really the biggest way that we do that. And this was said to me, and I wanted this to come up in the podcast at some point or another, because this is probably (laughs) one of the most prolific things I've ever had said to me in my whole entire life. And it was said to me by a saltwater fishing guide. And he said, you got to make the fish feel like they found it. And I was like, damn, I've never had anybody put it to me it's that way before. It's exactly- Dude, it's the same thing with women. That's it, man. <laughs> they and found I was that like, play. They found this chicken yeah, I mean, like, dude, like, <laughs> and when he said that to me, you know, he was talking in reference to redfish and speckled trout. But when he said that, I was like, damn, like, that's it. Like, you got to make these fish feel like they found it. And if that is letting a bait hang in their face, like bringing it to them and then just letting them see it. Yeah. That's what makes them feel like they found it. Then you've accomplished your job. You've done the most natural thing that you could possibly do because you have presented that fish with the presentation that is most natural to him. He is his, he gets to fulfill his predatory instinct to kill because he feels like he's got the jump on whatever it is you're presenting to them. And I think yeah. that's huge. And, you know, we've gone off a rabbit hole here, but I mean, it's that jerkbait mentality, like a jerkbait fishing kind of idea. And that one kind of why I wanted to talk about it is because 
it is the bait for me that really makes the fish fail. Like you get to make them react. And then to you in certain situations, you get to make them feel like they found it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that's that the thing. It's like versatility, but a lot of the, and I don't know if you guys are the same way, but I've caught a ton of really, really big fish. And if I look back on all these big fish that I've caught, you know, all these nines, all these tens and stuff like that, so many of the giant, giant fish that I've caught in the fall and in the spring have been doing less. Mm-hmm. Like my initial instinct is like Alex, like I love to power fish. If I can get mm-hmm. on a power fishing bite, it is so fun. But dead sticking, I mean, like some of the biggest bass I've ever caught have been dead sticking a big swim bait, literally mm-hmm. throwing out there doing nothing. Some of the biggest bass I've caught have been dead sticking a jerk bait throwing it out there, cranking it down, and letting the current sweep it through an area. Never moving it. Mm-hmm. A worm, never moving it. A Ned Rig, never moving it. Like, do less sometimes, and it's the most thing. It's whatever reason, like, when you, you know, so many guys don't catch those fish that are in that eight-pound class and up. And I think that's one of the big reasons they don't. It's like, find that bait that can hang there and then do less. Mm-hmm. Get to where that fish is and leave it in that fish's zone. They don't like that. They're territorial. Yeah. They don't like it when you leave something in the zone, especially mm-hmm. if it looks like Jesus' chicken nuggets. They're going to come over there and get it. <laughs> well, and it's like the trout fishing. Like if you think about trout fishing, and I don't know a lot about it, but the you know the most that I've seen about it, it's a lot of that kind of presentation of doing a lot less. You know, just yeah. make the presentation let the current do its job, make it look let like the it's water the make it natural. Yeah. Make the not water, make it natural. And you know, that's how people catch big trout. You know, at least that's what I've been told. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like All the biggest I, trout I've ever caught. I've been like that. It's like literally yeah. throw it out there, make it a light enough weight to where the current can take it exactly where it needs to go. I do it on the river all the time. Like I literally throw a fluke out there into a seam and then never touch it. Yep. Or I'll throw a nedry yeah. into a seam and never touch it. Or a Until that line just goes. Yeah, because like, yep, the current, there he is. They're current oriented. They're going to, like, the bait's going to go wherever the fish is, right? It's just like a fish seeking missile at that point. As long as you get your weight right where it's not just going to sink down to the bottom and get hung, you throw yeah. out the missile and you just let it do its thing. Like, I, I literally throw a jerk bait, I'll crank it down, and I'll just keep my line tight and just watch this thing like on a full cast and just slowly reel to keep my slack up and let it drift all the way back to the boat. And so many times it'll, you'll just see it just like think that line yep. and swing. It'll be like a five pound small mouth. And I yeah. have to give credit to Judson Brock. That is the, the man who said that statement to me. You got to make them feel like they found it. He's yeah, a saltwater awesome. guy. He's like a red. Yeah. Like yeah. He's a red fishing speckled trout guide down in South Carolina and he is the man. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's such a good point, especially Caleb, when you talk about like doing nothing with yeah. your bait. It's like, and, and Joe LaBarbera here is, is saying the same thing, like fishing the St. Lawrence River. And that's exactly true. And Deacon, I'm sure you can test the same thing. Is a lot of guys. I shouldn't say a lot of guys. There's a few guys that I was around that were saying the same thing. Like, and some of my very good smallmouth buddies that are, you know, Great Lakes hammers. They will, they might hate us for talking about this, but like, you see a lot of guys drop shot and they'll drop on fish and they're sitting there shaking it, shaking it, shaking it, yeah. shaking it. Mm-hmm. When really, if you just drop it and you let that line slack and let that bait fall naturally, you'll just like you'll just pick up your either you'll feel it in the line or yeah. just pick up your slack and your rod was already starting to bend like because it's just, it's on there. Yeah, and it's. And like 
I was sitting at the campfire with Greg Mansfield the day or two days before they wanted to open. And he goes, he goes, dude, I drop on him. I move the bait around. I can't get him to eat it. I let it like, he goes, only way I can get him to eat is if like I see him on the graph, I drop down, I leave my line slack and I just let it go down the current naturally because I don't do anything with it. And you pick up and then there's a five pounder. Yeah. Because like you're not, you're never going to be able to make your look, your bait look better than the current does. Yeah. Never. Yeah. It's yeah. going to do yeah. everything it needs to do by itself. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, and that's like, you know, for me, one of my big confidence baits of a Cinco style bait, stick bait. I mean, like over the past like few years, you know, stick bait for me has just become more and more prevalent just because of pressure. And like a lot of people I see fishing a stick bait, they fish it like a jerk bait. Like they throw it in there and it's like, like tat, yeah, tat, tat, tat. and I'm like, dude, me, I'm like, and literally like kayak fishing has made me do this bait. That's one of the reasons I've loved my kayak fishing experience. And I've translated it to the boat is just going, whoop, throw it in there and just go. And it's like, all right, I'm going like yeah, like, to be like the old man sipping his coffee, just holding the rod tip. And it's because, you know, in a lot of situations I'm fishing, I'm fishing current, I'm fishing moving water. And yeah. like, you know, that current grabs that thing and it starts drifting. And I mean, you just drift it past that spot. Making fish feel like they found it, and that line goes tick, and you're yeah. catching four and five pound largemouth. I mean, it's just yeah. the greatest thing. It ever, does right? everything it needs to do by itself. Yeah. You don't yeah. need to do anything cool. I mean, one of the biggest punching things, like if you want to catch giant fish punching, like there's one or two things. You flip it in there, you get it to punch through the mat, and you leave it right just on the bottom yeah. of the mat, and don't touch it. Just leave yeah. it. There. And the big fish will come up and eat it off the bottom of the mat. Or the other bite is you let it drop through and you let it hit the bottom and just leave it there. It's sitting there. Yep. Or pull it halfway up and just leave it sitting there. Yeah. Like I can't tell you how many fish like don't do this. this You see a lot of guys sitting there ripping that thing up and down. And sometimes that is a bite. Sometimes that works. Sure. But if you want to catch a monster underneath the mat, kill it. Yep. My mat fishing experiences. Let it do its own. Yeah, I mean, my bite fishing experiences is punch in there, let it hit the bottom, pull it halfway up, pull it all the way to the top, let it sit. Yeah, dude, I can't tell you how many I've had literally letting it sit right underneath the bottom. Dude, that or it's like a frog bite. I mean, it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's just you just pick up on them and there they are, and it's like, yep, that's it. Like, and I think it's just that that natural presentation of like, you know, it's doing what the bluegill does. It's yeah. Right up, yeah, they don't the do this. They're not doing this. They, yeah. they get to an area and they just suspend there. Yeah. And they yeah. swim a little further and they sit there. Like, yeah. bluegill don't do this. Crawfish don't do this. Yeah. Well, like, you, can get, you can make fish react to but that. Then, but then, then yeah. Work. But then if there's the reaction part of that. Out of there, you know. Yeah. Sure. And it all has to, they like it natural. And it all has to come into play right in your strategy if you're trying to catch a bunch of fish in a day, if you're chasing yeah. a big one. But to me, also, you look at bait manufacturers and all these different, I mean, we spend and we were talking all about all kinds of stuff before this podcast about secret baits and all this and that. And it's like when it comes to slower presentations, I mean, think about some of the best fish catchers out there. They are baits that don't move. I mean, it's yeah. the chunk on the back of a jig that literally just like, yeah. goes like this, right? <laughs> yeah. it's, it doesn't, it's not doing this. It's just you know, everything is just so gentle. A tube, man. How many big mm-hmm. fish have been caught on a freaking tube? Oh, you know, wow. a Senko. Like, I mean, it's just, it's things that don't make a bunch of movement that are very natural. And when there is a current situation, it naturally flows in that current. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it, it, you're dead on. I, I, there's either kind of that reaction mindset or then when you're slowing down, it's like, 
man, sometimes it's something so simple. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's, you know, if you think about nature itself, you know, <clears throat> I don't care if it's fish or if it's deer or if it's just nature, period, like your dog even, you know, like your dog, you know, obviously he'll run around the house and act like an idiot, you know, but like, you know, in day-to-day movements, he just kind of eases around. Deer, they just kind of ease around. You know, bass do the same thing. Like, you know, I saw some bass up on, a, you know, up in the water column the other day, and I could see them with my eyes. And when I got up on them, they didn't, like, swim away really fast. They just kind of eased off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that more, I think that's why those baits that don't do a whole lot are so effective is because it's natural. I mean, it's, you know, it's very natural unless something is in danger of dying. Yeah. For it to just kind of just ease. Like it just eases around. Animals ease around. They don't want to expend energy because the expenditure of energy means that they have to have an intake of energy. And sometimes an intake of energy is not worth the expenditure. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. so it's like this instinctual balance. It's this instinctual push pull of like, what is, what is this worth to me to make this movement? Whereas we as humans, we're, you know, we don't have to ha- really worry about that in a con- in a certain sense. You know what I mean? Like if we want yeah. something to eat, we go to the cabinet and we get it. Whereas a bass is a, is a ultimate predator, a true predator. He has to play that push-pull game of what is this worth to me to make this move that I need to make to eat this or yeah. to get away from this or to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's me, dude. That's the geeky like bass fishing side of me. Like, I will get into the science with y'all, and we will talk biology. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I think it. that is such yeah. a pivotal, <laughs> pivotal player in bass bass catching bass is knowing what a bass does and why it does it. So, yeah, that's that's the thing that always in, in my head. Like when I'm power fishing, make a fish react because like catching a giant fish on reaction bait is super possible. But the bigger the fish is, I feel like the smaller the strike zone is on that fish. Because like you said, it's like that fish is smart. It's not going to like, you know, a 10-pounder is not going to run eight foot to eat a rattle trap. It's just not. You're going to hit her in the mouth with it. A three-pounder might run five foot to hit a rattle trap. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about reaction baits, make them react. And that's where finding the spot on the spot is so important. What is the cast that the right fish is on? Make that fish mm-hmm. react. And then if he doesn't react to that, when you slow down, slow way down. You know, don't don't like fish a drop shot like a crackhead in there it's like slow way way down <laughs> and put something in that fish's zone and kill it that's how you catch giant giant fish hey you, man you got any more of that max scent man any more of that max scent man oh my god i could just go for another flatworm right now yeah it's a flatworm dude give me some flatworms man yeah <laughs> that's the way it is though it's just like you know, find a spot on the spot and like try to make that fish react, like hit him in the head with it and then try to make him react. And then if that doesn't work, hit him in the head with it and kill it and leave it there. Like that's how you catch the fish that a lot of people want to catch. Oh, my dad dropping, <laughs> dropping it right here. He says, I, yeah, I ease into the Mexican restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Z's all awesome. down in there getting some queso. Yeah, but that's great. That's good stuff. That's funny. Well, I know yeah, we went on like a hundred different yeah. tangents, but is yeah. there is there anything remaining fall fishing that we should cover before we sign off here tonight? I'm going to have to sign off here pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. everyone's beat right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say I would say my one thing for fall fishing is just go do it. Like go out there, <laughs> spend the hours, and just go fishing. Like as frustrating as it can be, it can get real good real quick. Like 
I can't tell you how many fall fishing days that I've gone out there and been so frustrated. And then within 30 minutes, I'm the happiest dude on the lake because I've sacked them up. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. just go out there and, and, you know, dedicate yourself to the, like this is a time of year where you can really hone that skill of dedication to doing it. You know what I mean? Like where, like if you're not getting bites, just keep fishing. You know what I mean? Because something is going to happen. Like you really, I don't know. I don't, like, I guess the, like there's a skill to being able to spend 13 hours on the water without getting tired of spending hours on the water without catching fish. And right now is the time to do it because the dedication to that time of doing it is what's going to get fish into the boat or the kayak or the bank or wherever you guys happen to be fishing. Yeah. I would say just work really hard. And this is a great time to fish for the one fish for the fish that your goldfish. Yep. You know what I mean? Just like your women. Your goal. Just look for the one. Exactly. You got to make them get to treat these fish like women. You got to make them feel like they found it and just look for the one. Okay. That's good. Well, boys, anything uh, the folks should know before we sign off? Adam, I'll let you go first. Well, I mean, I don't know the biggest thing. Stay on with the fall topic. I mean, Keep your head down. There's going to be – it's not like the spring where you can go catch a two-pounder or a three-pounder on every point and randomly catch a five or a six. Like, it's it's a lot more of a lot less time getting bit, but when you get bit, it's either a big one or you're around a pile of them. So sit there yeah. and be ready. It's just – it's kind of delayed gratification. You're going to be and sitting. The work is worth it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And there's less people on the lake, man. It's a good time to be out. So mm-hmm. spend time out there. Hey, bunch of people in tree stands so use the uh your alone time on the lake yeah. <laughs> unless you're on a 200 inch deer go catch fish or a giant six a uh, giant eight by eight like bull elk just go, go go fishing instead you know yeah. I, mean? <laughs> I just want to eat that <sighs> yeah <laughs> well boys well, i think that's gonna do it i don't think we're gonna close anything out here tonight because i don't have anything for the folks unless adam you do you want to have a different conversation for when we let these guys go. But if you're good, dude, we're going to close it out right here. Cool, man. See ya. It's good to talk to y'all. Thanks, Thanks guys. for having me on. Have a blast. We'll see you guys. And folks, we appreciate y'all. We'll see you guys on Wednesday. Peace. Bye, Bye buddy. Hope you- well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you like some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Searsanga fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.